I am Alon Ben-Mir, and welcome to another episode of On the Issues. My guest today is Adrian Stuni, a foreign policy and security analyst with a regional focus on Western Balkans and East Mediterranean. In this episode, we discuss political destabilization, radicalization, and de-radicalization in the Balkans. You can read Adrian's full bio on the page for this episode. I just, uh, I don't know what, what would you want to focus on. I'm open, really. Um, we haven't spoken in all of this session about um, the, the radicalization. I mean, it's still going on. And um, to the, the extent to which many, as I said, like when I was in the EU recently, we were talking about the the reintegration, rehabilitation, and to the extent to which has been this has been successful so far, and there isn't really the success has not been as discernible as tangible as many thought it might be because of perhaps lack of um, preparation for it, lack of the institutional arrangement to see how you rehabilitate. Um, uh, rehabilitation within the prison system. What's what's your what's your take on on on, on this? Sure. Um, so again, this is a an equation with so many variables. Before we get to rehabilitation, we need to understand how people were radicalized, recruited, yes, yeah. and mobilized. Yeah. And I know that generally it looks like it's the same thing, but it's not. So. Um, the, the, the phenomenon is really complex and it takes time to materialize. It's, and I understand that a lot of people are surprised. How is it possible that you have 1,100 individuals who went from Kosovo, Albania, Macedonia, Bosnia, and Serbia and Montenegro to fight in, in Syria and Iraq? It did not happen overnight. It did not happen in vacuum. Um, this thing was ignored for a long time. There was a virus that penetrated specific communities, and this was the result. So, yes, indeed, without understanding how this happened, it's not going to be very possible to undo the phenomenon. That's right. I mean, I think very little attention was paid to the root causes. That is, what would prompt a young person to decide, and I'm willing to risk his or her life to go to fight in Syria, to fight in Iraq. And, and so there are many, and, and my feeling is when I was addressing this issue, I was saying, we're looking just at the European, or the countries where these people are leaving and going to fight, but some of these root causes are embedded someplace else, in the Middle East and elsewhere, where rectifying these issues in the, say, European country is not going necessarily to put an end to radicalization. The war in Iraq may end, uh, or the in Syria may end in a year or, or so before the war in Iraq has ended, but still you have all kinds of elements. So I think the failure to deal with the root causes without understanding what prompting these kids, these young men and women to go there, that is still with us. Do you, do you agree with that, Prime? Uh, absolutely, yeah. uh, 100%. So I don't think that you can undo an ideology that easily, even by stopping the fighting. The ideology is the underlying right. uh, condition. And I don't think that we've been successful in understanding, let alone uh, targeting effectively the ideology. Uh, we've been talking about economics, about education. Sure, absolutely. All of those are important things to discuss. 
But we cannot forget that these individuals are being radicalized by specific individuals with specific um, agendas. They're not. Yes. Uh, this is not something that is happening in a uniform fashion across the land. If you're looking at the hotbeds, they are hotbeds because somebody is operating there. Um, there's networks that are doing it. And if we don't acknowledge that, that there's individuals with a specific agenda with an organized, in an organized fashion with sufficient support, financial and otherwise, uh, that are operating, then we're not, we're not actually targeting the sources, we're only targeting uh, the manifestations. That's right, that's right. Yeah, so, I mean, what you have here, I think this specifically, given that the majority of these are Muslims that are volunteering to, you know, from Muslim countries as well, not necessarily predominantly Muslim countries. Uh, but the method has been, you know, the, 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 uh, the way they've been recruited, not, of course, the social media is a, is a remarkable tool by which they could convey these messages and recruit. Uh, but they also adhere to a certain theme, and this Islamic theme, that is. And I think uh, the West is still to this day do not understand to how to de-radicalize what sort of approach, what sort of narrative you need to engage in in order to speak the same language, so to speak, as those who try to radicalize the young. That is, we sort of we look at our we look at it from um, what makes sense rather than the essence of this message itself and the and its Islamic base uh, roots to it. So there's there's different there's different aspects of uh, what you're touching upon, right? So to again starting from the deradicalization portion of it. Uh, as I was saying earlier, to de-radicalize, you need to undo radicalization. To undo it, you need to understand it. To understand it, you need to be open-minded. We're going off of you know frameworks that have been developed by academia, or they are old, or they are not in touch with, or are not. Uh, most case, in most cases, using tangible uh, information, useful information that you have to acquire from those that have been radicalized, recruited, and mobilized. We're not talking to the individuals that have been radicalized. This is uh, akin to trying to prescribe medication without talking to the patient. Exactly. So I am a little concerned there's a huge disconnect here, right? So for us to be able to help, which we should, because we're not just helping the returnees, we're helping the societies that are receiving them back. We're lowering the the social risk Mm -hmm. that the returnees represent. uh, technically speaking, yes, you're going to give the, the assistance to the returnees, but actually the benefits are going to be for the entire society. You're Absolutely. going to make a society Absolutely. less susceptible yeah. to radicalization, ideology, and, and, and uh, lower the, the social risk, right? So we need to be a little more creative. We, li- we need to be a little more courageous in the way we approach this issue and uh, do away with this, you know... Um, you know, old frameworks of thinking, because this is like a virus that mutates uh, continuously in terms of, I'm talking about, um, in this case, religious uh, radicalization, right? This has not been, if we're talking about the Balkans, this has not been a thing in the Balkans, right? This is a, a relatively recent development in the past couple of decades, primarily, right? Um, so we need to understand what's going on, because um, there has been a lot of wars in the Balkans recently, in the past couple of decades or so. That's right. But yeah. nobody blew themselves up. 
Mm-hmm. Even when they saw their mothers being raped in front of them, their houses being burned down, and their fathers being killed in front of them, they, they were deported from their country. We never saw even one case mm-hmm. of a uh, Kosovar Albanian blowing themselves up, right? Uh, now, what is it that is prompting these individuals to go to Syria in somebody else's war, arguably, um, to carry out this, you know, um, despicable acts of violence? This is, this is not indigenous. This is not culturally indigenous to people of the Balkans. They've never done that. Even when they were touched by the violence much more closer to their heart, their lives were, were, were devastated, but they did not operate in that fashion. So this is a different kind of virus. This is a new kind of virus that has been, um, has been brought uh, from somewhere else. And so we need to be courageous and understand who brought it, because they're still bringing it, and, and it's still there. Ideology is not, ideology is in the books. Ideology is in uh, the individual that spreads it, and and they have been very these individuals and these organizations, unfortunately, to to us that want a peaceful resolution of whatever animosity is, uh, they have been very effective because these organizations have been galvanizing have been have been have been instrumentalizing issues that have been latent and have continued to fester in the Balkans because they were not addressed properly they are tied to the pains of the wars they are tied in a way or another but we need to study them properly uh, to to the, the, uh, the despicable violence that was uh, visited upon the people of the Balkans about yeah. 20,000. Yeah. Uh, women have been raped in Kosovo, but up until very recently, we, we never talked about it. Same thing happened in Bosnia. Now, psychologically, what was the effect? Uh, because these narratives are being instrumentalized by those that make this a, a, a war between religions. Uh, so uh, one of the, the main narratives, if you study the narratives of how individuals have been radicalized is uh, well, Serbia did not attack Kosovo because it was Serbs attacking Kosovars. It was Crusaders attacking yes. Muslims. So we need to understand that this is being used, has been used, will continue to be used, right? Because that is what these organizations want to do. They want to make this about more than just Kosovo. This is about a bigger dimension. It's a bigger attack. It's a bigger humiliation that is systematic in the way they interpret things. This is why they want to make this another international, same as you know uh, the communist movement a long time uh, long time ago, right? So it's about mobilizing people, but tying this to their own identity, their 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 uh, common identity, um, tying it to their sufferances, tying it to their frustrations. Exactly. I mean, you know, domestically, of course, speaking, you know, you have this generally the younger one, you know, the, obviously those who are going volunteering are young, are young in their 20s or even younger than that. Uh, they have this, they impacted by the psychological dimension that have been, uh, what they are historically have been experiencing is still either they experience it themselves or it's been family members. Been by, by their, They've by, been exposed by, to it. They were exposed through parents and otherwise. And uh, many of them are disenchanted, uh, feel that, that uh, they, they in their own social political environment is not supportive. Uh, they're looking for identity, they're looking for a sense of belonging. 
And so what you have, you have this, this organization coming and speak to the language, their language, that come to us, you're going to have the identity, you're going to have the strength, you belong to someone. You have a mission, you have a, a goal, an idea you can pursue. That is very attractive to a young person who turns around and he has really nothing around him that support him, even within the family environment. Absolutely. So, so you have that element. My, my, uh, when my discussion with the EU and the I'm trying to in, convey this to them. You are not dealing because they were talking more about m better security, more guns, more military, more police, to make sure that these things, terrorist uh, attacks, will not happen. And I'm saying, yes, this is all important, but you are not dealing with this young man who, who bef before he goes in order to prevent him from going in the first place. So there is that disconnect. So we, so we have two prong uh, issues here. Wait, what to do in order to end, not to end, at least minimize to a great extent radicalization within a given country. And then what to do in order to rehabilitate the returnees in order to make sure that they will not radicalize others and uh, stop them from continuing their, um, you know, uh, to implement their mission elsewhere. They bring their, their what they've learned. They, of course, many of them got disenchanted, they get disillusioned, and they come back because they, they thought they're going to someplace, but they didn't give them what they really were looking for. So you have these two things, and I think we're going to have to look at it from, in terms of, A, what do we do? with existing reality that now and what do we do with the returnees in order to create some you know to, to mitigate the issue and not stop it from co continue to fester I, absolutely so i mean there's so many different dimensions to the problem because there's no one type of returnee there's exactly. so many different types of inter right. returnees and i think sometimes i hear a lot of talk but it's very simplistic and and it's concerning because it's the same as, you know, the, the equivalent would be to expect to have the same medication for um, illnesses that affect the kidney exactly. and, uh, and, and illnesses that affect the heart. We don't have that. It, it, you use different kinds of medications, right? So in some cases, individuals were radicalized, recruited and mobilized. So they kind of um, embrace the ideology. In some other cases, you have individuals who were mobilized but never radicalized. This is the case of some women who went with their husbands, the kids who went with their parents, exactly. somebody who went with his brother but was never, never cared much about the ideology but went because of the group dynamics, right? So, so you're not going to have to deal with these individuals in the same way. So it's a very simplistic way to think, okay, let's de-radicalize them. We have to have a program. You're not going to have one program. You're going to have so many different programs. Exactly. But you yeah. need to invest in this. Exactly. So that's one of the issues. The second thing is how do you go about de-radicalizing people? You don't have a machine, same as an X-ray machine, when you're putting somebody in mm -hmm. and you're checking their lungs and they're clear, mm -hmm. clean bill of health, <laughs> you can go home. It does not work that way because it's a psychosocial uh, it's phenomenon, a it's a and it is. It could be uh, reversed, but it exactly. could relapse. The individual can relapse. It's the exactly. same as alcoholism and all that. Exactly. So, uh, these are very complex phenomena, and I think we're taking a very simplistic, unfortunately, I have to say, it, 
view in, in an approach so far. Um, not to be alarmist, right? But, but we need to understand that uh, if, for example, and I'm just taking the case of the Balkans since we're talking about the Balkans, yeah. but we can talk about the phenomenon in France or in right. England and Germany. Uh, in, in the Balkans, it's different from there. You're, you don't have second, third generation migrants who are trying and struggling to integrate in a foreign country. This is their culture. This is their country. Um, arguably, in most of the cases, they're not within the perimeter of their social units. They're not uh, a minority at all. They're not a, a religious or an ethnic minority. So we need to understand what's going on because it's, this is completely different from elsewhere in Europe. Okay, and, and you're not going to have the same medication that works in Denmark uh, to be applied in, 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 in Bosnia, for example, or in Albania, right? It's not going to work that way because the problem is different. The virus is different. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, the environment in each different country is different, I mean, for these individuals. But um, you can take them as a group. There may be some common denominators that you can apply in terms of rehabilitation. Absolutely. But you, on the other hand, even within the group, you have individuals that you're going to have to pay more attention to. This problem with this person is not the same as the problem so with the other So there's three types person. of returnees, exactly. right? Exactly. So you have those that are completely disenchanted. They come back and they're like, what did I do to myself, right. my family? This was stupid. Fine. Absolutely. Second group is the, those that sit on a fence. They don't know exactly whether mm -hmm. they did the right thing to go yeah. or whether they did the right thing to return. Yes. And so those are susceptible to being pulled each, whichever way. We need to work with them, obviously. Right. And then the third ones are the ones that came back, but they came back with a completely different idea to continue fighting in a different way. Um, those are potentially sleeper cells, right? That's right. So um, it is so hard to keep track of these individuals. And the Balkans has the highest rate of returnees per capita in Europe. I just published a month ago uh, um, uh, a report. Well, it was a, that was more of an article based on a broader report I did that looks into what means and, and expertise is available in the Balkans to effectively um, counter the phenomenon of, of, of violent extremism and rehabilitate individuals. And, and the, the, the outcome of the research I did showed that uh, basically the Balkans, the countries of the Balkans that have received the most returnees, 95% of the returnees, uh, have gone to Kosovo, Macedonia, Bosnia, and Albania. Right, right. Uh, these countries have about 30 returnees per million. Mm -hmm. um, I looked at countries in European Union they have, that have a same, that similar volume of returnees. That was Austria, um, Denmark, um, the Netherlands, and Belgium. Right. But these four countries are bigger countries, of course, right? Yes, and so, if you're looking at per capita, um, these countries have only seven per million, seven yeah. returnees per million. That's right. So, countries of the Balkans have four plus times more returnees per capita. And then I looked at the GDP, exactly. the gross domestic product, so that we can see, okay, because we keep talking about this Aarhus model in Denmark. Okay, where they give them jobs, they give them a house, they give them friends. Fine, absolutely. They have the means, they have a psychologist uh, on speed dial. Fine, absolutely. But is it possible to 
export that model here, or, or to whatever extent we can. Uh, the, the GDP of these four countries in the Balkans, Albania, Kosovo, Bosnia, and uh, Macedonia, basically is only $49 billion. That's right. Whereas the, the four other countries, neighboring countries in European Union, had, uh, the, the GDP was $2 trillion and 49 billion. So the countries of the Balkans only had the last two digits. Yes, yes. Which yeah. is 2.4% yeah, yeah. comparing GDPs. So what can you do if you have four times plus more returnees per capita, but only 2.4% of the, 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 the means? Yeah. Not even talk, we're talking only about the, the, the material means. We're not talking about the expertise, which is even harder to acquire because it requires time and, and long-term investment. So, I mean, the bottom line of that is there is very limited resources in terms of financial resources, very limited human resources, extremely limited, to deal with the with the problem in this kind of dimensions that we are facing in the Balkans. Yeah, and I think you might probably add that the third, the third dimension is that the political environment in the Balkans. And, and that is not as steady, of course, as other European countries you mentioned. And that is another problem, that is that political uncertainty. Uh, adding to the economic hardship, of course. Uh, this is this is this is the, the, I mean this is a, probably the the derealization in these in the Balkans is going to take much longer time. Even if you had the resources, that is because of the pol political component. That's uh, absolutely, this is this is critical to understand, right? Yeah. Instability breeds yeah. violence exactly. and, and, and yeah. discontentment and all of those things. Exactly. Um, I did another. St I did a study a few years back at this point, a couple of years ago, and I was looking at whether it was, um, you know, uh, issues of economics per se, or um, issues that were more related to unmet expectations, right? And and a complete disappointment with the political uh, developments in in the country, in in this case in Kosovo. Um, it, it, there are indications that um, people are completely disenchanted with, with the path. Yes. They're feeling yeah. isolated right. and they're feeling um, marginalized. They're feeling betrayed. They're feeling, and you find this, um, I, I travel very often to the Balkans and I have very good you know, connections and I work there every month uh, and I've worked for nine years in, in Kosovo. So, Personally, I have seen tremendous positive change in relative terms. If you compare it to where it was after the war, mm -hmm. how devastated the, 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 the economy was, um, you know, there was no um, rule of law, there was no police force that had to be created, there was no um, courthouses, no judges, no prosecutors. So if you look back 20 years and you compare so much has happened so much positive change has has taken place right but is it where it needs is the country where it needs to be in this case Kosovo no it's not and and there is a, a a lot of underlying issues that that need to be addressed same thing with Bosnia right it's completely dysfunctional when it comes to um, you know government institutions um, there there's there's deep seated problems and resentments that need to be addressed in a creative way because the status quo is not tenable. Right, and right, and yeah. you have the same issues 
uh, elsewhere, but primarily in, in Bosnia, Kosovo, and Macedonia. Macedonia has been doing a bit better with the, uh, the, the, the most recent government. Um, there is the, uh, obviously, there's going to be uh, a referendum on the name. There is positive developments on the front of the uh, dispute with Greece, um, potentially you know, NATO membership. So um, Macedonia has is, is been the, 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 the kid that is yeah, really yeah. giving the satisfactions. Uh, it is doing better. Uh, but in terms of Bosnia and, and in terms of Kosovo, there is there is uh, huge issues, and and why would we expect people to be willing to de-radicalize and reintegrate uh, in the same exact environment where they were radicalized? What has changed yeah. from five six years actually? That is the question. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you this. Um, Turkey, of course, has a uh, you know Erdogan is a great deal of interest in the, uh, projecting. Uh, uh, Turkey into the the Balkans as with Kosovo and others. Uh, to what extent do you think that the introduction and he's Islamist is obviously trying to promote his Islamic agenda. To what extent do you think you believe that that is causing or prolonging the processes of reintegration rehabilitation? Do you see any connection or I mean I'm really asking. Because I, I I'm not sure of the, what the answer is going is, is. I mean, generally speaking, or is speaking, it perhaps so, very limited? Perhaps is is it not significant at all? Well, so generally speaking, if we're looking at Amnesty International's annual reports, you know, they have they have repeatedly raised concerns over you know human rights violations, over this you know negative trajectory tra trajectory of of Turkey that is backsliding on democratic values. Um, of course, there has been this tendency to, you know, um, have a foreign policy that is neo-Ottoman yeah. to revive mm -hmm. these uh, traditions of the past and and to, you know, um, increase the the clout uh, and influence of Turkey in in the region. They've done it somewhere uh, by investing in the economy. In the oh, case yes. of Serbia, in other cases, they've Definitely. invested in um, rebuilding. You know, temples of, of uh, religious temples and, and and investing politically in building relationships directly with certain political powers, uh, forces, right? So, uh, is it a positive development? No, it's not. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a country that's backsliding uh, significantly, significantly when it oh, comes yes. to democratic oh, yeah. values. Absolutely. Um, there was also the development, the negative development of the uh, the six uh, individuals that were mm -hmm. uh, literally snatched. Yes, yeah. uh, there was a, a regular extradition uh, of, of individuals who were there on regular permits in Kosovo. So that was a negative development too, right? So if you're looking at certain elements if you're looking at these elements of course it's negative it's a negative impact it's it portrays kosovo negatively right what happened because the the, the legal procedures were not followed absolutely not it yeah. was a foreign intelligence service operating mm -hmm. in kosovo snatching individuals within a matter of hours and and doing that right so these are negative development, definitely negative developments. Uh, and, and there was also some connections between entities uh, in Turkey, funding entities or NGOs in mm -hmm. Kosovo yeah. that ultimately were 
um, closed down by by government, uh, by the government, for example, in Kosovo, because there were suspicions of, of um, um, relations with uh, individuals tied to terrorist organizations. So again, that's also a negative development. Uh, are we understanding, or have we been able to go to, um, you know, the the heart of the problem? I don't think so, because there's so many different things happening in the Balkans, as you said, at, at any given moment. Are we able to understand the the influence of Russia properly and how they are um, interfering, uh, how they're playing, what they're playing, and and what their agenda is? No. Will we have any expectation that uh, the likes of Saudi Arabia, uh, the likes of uh, Russia, are, right, are going to right. stop interfering uh, well, we and, know that's and introducing gonna, their yeah, agenda in, right. in the Balkans? Absolutely not. That is that is uh, that will be naive to think about. But we need to understand how can we raise awareness of the issues, um, try to get you know uh, an environment that is is more stable politically socially, economically. Unfortunately, I'm not so sure that the European Union uh, is, is very clear as to the path to achieve that in the Balkans currently. And I, I see that more as a concern rather than the interferences, which we're not, we're not going to be able to, uh, to stop from, from other powers that have another agenda that is not liberal, is not democratic. So these are my concerns, more specifically. Yeah, that's going to aggravate. There's no question that aggravate the situation in terms of what we've been talking about. And as long as I think we will discuss it today with, um, I, I'm terrible with names, <laughs> uh, that the EU, uh, the EU has been able to demonstrate, show, send signs that there is better prospect. And um, probably things that have, might have changed in terms of where the, we are going to be 5, 10, 15 years down the line. Uh, and as long as this internal conflicts continue and the EU is not prepared to make that leap and uh, open the door a little wider and give them better hope sooner than later, that's obviously this process take years, you know, 10, 15 years before Kosovo, another member, another Balkan state become a member. So, so the EU could play, could have played, continued to play in a much more, much more positive role, specifically because you have Russia and Turkey are constantly trying to solidify their position uh, in the Balkans. Absolutely. The Balkans is not just the Balkans for yeah. the people of the Balkans, right? Yeah. So the Balkans is so critical because it's in the heart of Europe, literally right now. When we're talking about European Union, we're talking about um, also um, Bulgaria, Romania, and Greece. Right. And so right. that's not anymore the backyard. That's right. Uh, that's right. So, and a lot is happening. There's transnational threats that are not directly uh, linked to violent extremism or terrorism you have but but still create an environment that is not exactly conducive to well-being right so you have um, a lot of illicit drugs coming through or being produced in the Balkans yeah a lot and that creates a lot of corruption that creates deforms the economies uh, that creates a lot of social issues that creates another capacity issue because you will not have enough law enforcement to go after everything. 
again, you have a lot of illegal weapons laying around. The weapons that were used in Bar at Baraklan came from the yeah. Balkans. Yeah. The, yeah. the bullets came from the Balkans. The SIM cards came from the Balkans. So uh, it's like a, a staging ground as well. It's not just, you know, okay, people are leaving from there and then are coming back and what can we do? But there's other people operating there as well. That's right. And there That's is right. also the nexus between that we're not understanding sufficiently between organized crime mm -hmm. and, and, and outfits that might have terrorist designs or violent extremist intentions. Um, so there's, 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 uh, there's illegal migration as well. I mean, let's not forget all that uh, flood of, of, of migrants that came from, from elsewhere, in this case from Syria and Iraq. They had to go through the Balkans. But they were facilitated. Their 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 journey was facilitated by organized crime networks. Yeah. Let's yeah. make no let's make no mistakes here. Uh, it's not that easy to get to cross seven borders, and, and uh, you don't do that with a GPS only, right? So, um, but where did the money go? Do we know that? Do we understand the the connections? I think yeah. we need to do a better job yeah. at understanding how complex. The so, if you were to pinpoint say, three, four, five different steps. And uh, to, to conclude this uh, brief conversation, where do you begin from your perspective? In terms of violent extremism, yeah, per yeah, se, to, to, or we're talking about stabilizing the Balkans? St stabilizing it. Well, I mean, if you reduce violent extremism, you're, to some extent, you also, to a great extent, you also stabilize uh, the countries politically. Right. Uh, I mean, there is a connection between the two, obviously. Uh, at least to a great extent, to some measure, is going to help politically to stabilize the countries. I mean, in terms of violent extremism, first and foremost, we have to deal with the, the children that have or mm -hmm. will return because a lot have, have been born there and uh, they're still... So how much attention is being paid to this right now? Well, unfortunately, attention and, and resources, material resources yeah. have been really scarce. Yeah. So not, not enough. Not Locally, enough. they cannot be uh, dedicated because we know they don't, they don't have uh, sufficient resources. But I'm more concerned. I'm more concerned not because there's lack of money. I'm more concerned because there's lack of understanding or willingness to explore this. That's it. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. talk to people and they're like, "No, we done. We have done enough research." This is the same as if if you have uh, a heart condition and having had a, a test two years ago and telling people, "No, I know what I have." You need to keep track of what's mm -hmm. happening. Yeah. Every six months, you have to go to the yeah. doctor. You need to research how the problem has morphed. Yeah. Now people are being radicalized in a different way, not like they were radicalized in 2012. That's right. Do we have capacity to do it? Because again, I go back to the, the critical element. You cannot undo something you don't understand. And that thing cannot be understood once and then you stop and then you, you go home. This is not a vaccine that you can use two, three years after you, you manufacture. No, absolutely. You yeah. need yeah. to continue doing this and you need to target the ideology not just talking about push and pull factors, economics and fine, but that's long term. How are we going to change the quality of education in, in the Balkans? You're not going to be able to change that in the next five years or 10 years. That's going to take a long more, lot more time, time that we don't have when it comes right. to uh, violent extremism. And, and tackling ideology is even much harder than actually tackling the, what's happening on the ground. To take ISIS, for example, you know, ISIS pretty much defeated in, in Iraq and in, and in Syria, but their ideology is still very much alive, and it's, and it's now spreading all over, uh, not necessarily territorially, 
but the ideologies they are the recruitments they are they are mishaps will continue for for a long time to come and I don't know how much efforts being made to actually deal with the with the ideology in order to be able to because that is these are one of the root causes you're going to continue to see this phenomena growing as long as we do not uh, effectively deal with the ideology there itself. is people and networks that spread this ideology this does not happen you know sporadically yes these are efforts that have been funded systematically and supported systematically for a long time by people who know what they're doing these radical um, preachers they have phd degrees they are yeah. not yeah. ignorant people they're not simply brainwashing individuals a narrative to take hold, you know, there, there's two sides of it, right? There's the demand and the supply. You can have a lot of supply, but if there's no demand, they're not going to buy it. So we need to understand the demand side of it. We're not, I, I'm, I'm concerned we've not done, not nearly enough to understand why individuals will go blow themselves up in Syria and Iraq. I have some ideas and I've done some research and I've done interviews and I've, I've been focusing on this problem for, for many years now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I'm concerned that there is a very superficial understanding of a thing that is a living thing that keeps changing and morphing. We need to put more time, more resources, more efforts. This is not going away, not only in the Balkans. And exactly. you can defeat ISIS on the battleground if you so think. But the numbers that came out of UN report show that there's still 20 to 30,000 exactly. individuals right. who are affiliated to this yeah. uh, organization. So in the battlefield, yes, they might have lost the, the territory, exactly. but they're still present. And yeah. if something happens, they will still resurface. So that is have not... Been they, they have. Yeah, and course. then you have Al-Qaeda. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in this case, in this case is HDS, right? Tahrir al-Sham. Right, and there in Idlib, and there's this the other coming battle, but but there's different factions, and they're operating in in different territories in different ways. They're not going away, so we need to have a better strategy, uh, not just be reactive, but need to figure out a way to be proactive, because this can uh, these kind of ideologies can create an environment that is going to um, probably exacerbate underlying animosities, especially in the Balkans that has experienced uh, a number of um, uh, wars in the in the very recent past. Yeah, yeah and I, I, th I think it's going to get probably worse, much worse before we're going to see. I mean, exactly what you're saying, the question is how do you identify what sort of prescription you're going to, uh, how to, to diagnose all of this. What kind of so it's a, it's a plethora of so many things that need to be done before you can just and you're absolutely right you can't generalize and I think the tendency has been generalization and and, uh, and it has not worked and it's not going to work. I'm personally optimistic and I, and that's what I said you know I've seen tremendous positive change in the Balkans mm -hmm. you know I am from the Balkans I am originally from Albania from Tirana I, I left when I was in my twenties early twenties mm -hmm. I haven't lived there in the past you know a uh, couple of decades specifically. Uh, but I visit, I, I work in relation to the books. I can measure it. I can tell you with numbers. There's been tremendous positive change, right? But 
also we need to be patient and we need to understand that um, democracy cannot take hold uh, that quickly in, in, in countries that have been ruled by the Ottomans for 500 years uh, or they've been under um, communism for 50 years and then you have democracy for yes, a very yes. short pseudo-democracy, a hybrid form of democracy in the past couple of decades. So you, we need to look at things in context and we need to be patient, we need to be uh, optimistic and, and we need to keep um, um, trying to be proactive rather than reactive. So I know this is like a, it sounds more like a big bumper sticker, but uh, no, no, but, but that's, I believe, I believe that yeah, if, yeah. if there is more of a, a, a real carrot rather than a virtual carrot dangled yeah. by European Union, there is a, a, a tangible track and path to, to, towards uh, another identity. Uh, a, a pr prosperous identity uh, that is linked to um, ideals rather than blood and soil and ethnicities, exactly. I yeah. think we will be in a better shape, in, in not only in the Balkans, but in Europe in general, because even the problem with violent extremism in sp specific pockets uh, in France or in, in, in England or in Germany is tied to identity and failure to integrate mm -hmm. uh, individuals uh, into a society where more and more of, of the wealth of the country is going to less and less people and not enough is trickling down. So it, it's, it, it, there's no easy, there's no easy yeah. prescription yeah. and I, I'm not going to be able to give like <laughs> a, a prescription for a problem that we still need to uh, assess. Properly. And like you just said, you know, you need to build on the progress. But they, they, more and more people need to identify that. And the leadership needs to have a vision. You have to have I'm a vision, not a seeing political a vision. vision. Yes, Politically, yeah. Horizon. you have a, the rise of populists that you know, yeah. keep insisting yeah. on, um, on, on certain narratives that are very divisive. divisive yeah. And, and uh, it's a problem because it's creating uh, gulfs within societies. It's creating uh, divisions. It's creating animosities. Yeah is not conducive to, yeah. to an environment where people come together. It's falling, it's, yeah. it's, it's unfortunately falling, uh, falling apart. And there's the pull and push from the outside. I mean, that doesn't help. You know, you have other powers around, be that Turkey, be that Russia, United States. And, they have uh, a different agenda. They again. have a different agenda, and, and these are caught in the middle. So Indeed. We can continue this forever. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, actually. No, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.